This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 77. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with Mr. Brandon Turner, my fabulous co-host. What's up, Brandon? What is up, Josh? Busy day, huh? Holy smokes, man. Today was one of those insane days. And and why why you might ask? Why Brandon? why Josh? What what happened today? Well, today was the day that the new Bigger Pockets was born. Officially, everybody is now completely 100% switched on for the new Bigger Pockets. So, uh it was a, it was, you know, there was, a, there's a lot of work that goes behind not only the thousands of hours in building it, but actually the launch. So uh, we're done, we're launched, and and a great sigh of relief has been had by all. There you go, there you go. Well, I also want to say thank you to all the beta testers that have been testing the last couple of weeks. A lot of people transitioned over to the beta version, and uh, we had a lot of good feedback and tweaked a lot of stuff, and now it is ready to go. So it is awesome, cool. awesome. Yeah, so check it out www.biggerpockets.com. We'll see you over there, of course. Oh, and uh, check out check out the new video we made. I don't know if we've ever talked about that on the podcast. Oh yeah, we did. We yeah. if you go to biggerpockets.com, the homepage, we made this really cool commercial. This this kind of uh, promo video that uh, I think is absolutely fantastic, and and uh, you know Brandon uh, did the bulk of the work, so it deserves the bulk of the credit. It's astonishing. It's amazing. Check it out. Yeah, you might have to log out of your account to actually see it though, because if you go to the homepage, it'll redirect you if you're logged in. So. I don't. Well, we might have to actually change that around. Who knows? Nah, we'll, we'll whatever. Figure. All right. Yeah. So yeah, check it out. Biggerpockets.com on the homepage. So yeah, cool. Well, here we are, man. We've we've got a uh, we've got an amazing show today. In fact, uh, this this is a show a lot of you guys have been asking for. Before we get into it, I'm going to do really quickly today's quick quick tip. All right, today's quick tip. Now that we have the newly designed site. When you log into BiggerPockets, you'll see on your dashboard on the right side, there's a little square that shows you the newest podcast episode. If you click that, it'll open up the podcast episode in a new window. So while you're browsing the site, you could sit around and listen to the show. Uh, in fact, if you decide to leave BiggerPockets, you can continue to listen to the show. So uh, definitely check it out that way. Yeah. And we're going to improve it pretty soon so that you can go back and look at old episodes on there as well. So oh, cool. Yeah. Stay it, tuned for that. It's a cool little widget. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Check it out. Awesome. But that's today's quick tip. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to the show. So today's guest is a man who's been quite active on Bigger Pockets. He's an active real estate investor out of California's Central Valley who specializes in something people call wholetailing which is a really cool strategy that anyone, especially new investors or those tired of dealing with rentals or rehabs, can get into pretty easily. Our guest is Michael Quarles. Michael has done between 500 and 1,000 flips, hotel flips in his investment career, and he's very active in helping people on the site, as, as I already mentioned. Ironically, the guy doesn't even know how many deals he's done. He's done so many. You know things are good when you can't even count <laughs> how many deals you've done. So... Uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, Michael's also the owner of yellowletters.com, one of the leading uh, direct mail companies out there. And he's definitely, definitely one of the uh, brilliant marketing minds on bigger pockets. But 
Today, we're actually not going to be focusing on marketing. I know it's a shock, and I know everybody <laughs> who wants to hear Michael wants to hear about marketing, but the, the conversation was going to get there, and it just never actually got there because we got <laughs> so deep into some other topics. And we're going to do another show later on, on the marketing side. Today, we're going to get into a fascinating, fascinating discussion all about talking with sellers and negotiating great deals. It's, it's literally just a schooling on how to negotiate. And, and if you want to hear Brandon get his backside beat by, uh, <laughs> by a master of negotiation, definitely pay attention. It's a lot of fun. We do a lot of uh, role-playing. We being Brandon and Michael, I just sit back and watch. <laughs> And it's fascinating. So if you want to learn something, anybody and everybody can take something away from the show. And I strongly encourage you to listen all the way through. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. So let's get this thing going. 
All right, Michael, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you here. It's fun to be here. I think it's going to be fun anyway. <laughs> good luck <laughs> yeah the hot seat huh oh yeah wow. the hot seat yes and, and you're in it today so uh yeah we're going to talk about your story how you got started um, for those people who don't know michael is extremely active on the bigger pockets forums he's in there all day um not you know all day, every day. you make it sound like he's got <laughs> he's no got life. no life he just sits in there no he's <laughs> but he's he's all like, he's always helping people out answering questions and uh so i know this is uh he's been one of our most in-demand guests so we're excited to I'll pick your brain today. Definitely. Cool. Do I get points for it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about how you got started in real estate. What did you do beforehand and how did you get into this? My father was a, um, and I kind of had to live with him because he was my father. Um, <laughs> he was a um, concrete guy. And if I wanted to eat, then I would go and, and work with him weekends and after school and all that kind of good stuff. And um, so he taught me a basic form of construction, pouring concrete, laying block. Okay. At 18 years old, like most people at 18 or some people at 18, I moved out and enlisted in the Air Force. Went down, took my physical, bent over, all that kind of good stuff. <laughs> uh, Thanks for the detail. <laughs> oh, didn't enjoy it. Well, maybe, maybe I did. The Air, um, <laughs> yeah, the Air Force, the Air Force or, or, or the, the exam. Physical. <laughs> yeah. The proctologist. So, so oh, here I am. I, I have an, uh, a report date to the Air Force, and it's like in October or November, and I'm in the middle of summer. And um, I pick up the newspaper, look in the classified section for some really strange reason. I have no clue why I'm doing it, and I see this ad for a piece of real estate. And it was a as a property listed by Century 21. And so I called the guy. We went out, and met at the property. Um, I bought it. It was a vacant R2 lot. I had no clue what R2 was. And um, must have been important. And so I bought this thing. And because I had a prior, like I poured concrete as a child, I thought, well, I could, I could do this. I could build a building on this piece of property. Didn't have my contractor's license. Um, took architectural drawing in high school, so I knew how to do a stick drawing of a building. Went down while I was in escrow to purchase the property. I had no money, by the way. And I didn't realize at the time that when they asked for a deposit check, they actually wanted to cash the deposit check. <laughs> I thought they were just going to hold the deposit check. So, so here I am. I go down to the building department. I give them my stick drawings. I get my permit. Now, this was 30 years ago. So things in 30 years ago were a little bit different than they are today. Yep. I um, pour my concrete. I'm framing. I'm doing stuff on this property that I do not own. Right. I thought that when you entered escrow, then that meant you had the right to do something. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so that meant that oh you had the God. right to, to do something to the property. So here comes the owner of the property. He comes up and he drives up. And he says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm building a duplex. How's it look? And he says, well, but you don't own the property. <laughs> I said, yeah, but escrow is going to close on this you know, date forward. And, and I had no clue. And then about two days later, my realtor comes. Only property I've ever bought through the MLS. Realtor comes up and he's all frustrated with me. He says, Mike, I got to talk to you. And I said, what's up? He said, you can't be doing this. And I said, well, I'm doing a pretty good job. <laughs> so, and he says, and besides your deposit check bounced. And I said, you deposited it? <laughs> oh, he goes, well, gosh. yeah. <laughs> so we worked out with the, the owner of the property to do carry back a seller, carry back instead of cash purchase. Because he realized I didn't have the money for the deposit even. 
so I got kind of lucky. I had a nice seller and a somewhat understanding realtor. And from there, I finished my duplex. I sold it. I had this little itty bitty chunk of money. Like it was like $12,000. Now keep in mind, I'm 18 years old and I've never seen $12,000 consecutively in my life. Air Force is coming. I'm thinking, you know, I've got a report. I called my Air Force recruiter and I said, you know what? I just fell in love with dirt. And he, he kind of, he sounded like I was stupid. And I said, no, <laughs> I just, I really did. I just fell in love with dirt. I said, I just did something. I made $12,000. I don't want to go in the Air Force. Can I get out? And he said, well, come on in, sign these papers. I hope that the papers that I signed meant I was out of the Air Force because I never went into the Air Force after that. <laughs> but from there, from there, I bought another piece of property and another piece of property and another piece of property. I absolutely fell in love with dirt. And mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, from a perspective of I never really saw my dad have a job so because he was always self-employed. I didn't know what it was like to have a job. I worked at McDonald's one summer just because I wanted to date the girl that worked at McDonald's there too. (laughs) (laughs) So started with, with that and started building, started selling, started building, started selling, realized at some point that I had a big S on my chest. I couldn't do anything wrong. So I was having like 12 plexes going and, and multiple fourplexes going. I had a track of houses going and it was just fun. I felt, like I said, I fell in love with it. So it was totally an accident and had I known what I know now, I would have never done it. So I would not be a real estate investor. I'd be an Air Force something. Nice. <laughs> nice. All right. So, so you, you, you buy this first property. You, you build during escrow. The guy doesn't sue the pants off of you, even though you didn't have pants to pay for your own pants or whatever, whatever I'm talking about. Yeah, no, nothing happened at that point. And you start getting into uh, these, these projects. Now, were you just buying vacant lots and doing new builds or were you doing, you know, tearing down uh, existing properties? What, what at, was at, the plan? In the beginning, the first one was just a regular R2 lot, vacant yeah. lot. Nothing was on it prior it was a PUD, and I had no clue what a PUD was until I, I bought it and did that. And, and what's a PUD for those people listening? For our area, that means you have to, to bring it up to a certain use. So you had to have landscaping and off-street parking, and the outside of the property had to conform to what the county at that time wanted. Okay. Um, you just couldn't go and build whatever you wanted. You had to meet certain requirements. Gotcha. Um, much more or much greater than a building code requirement. Now, the first one was okay. I thought that one was pretty cool. The second one was even worse. So now I had a little, I had a little money. I now knew that I actually had to buy a piece of property and had (laughs) to own it in order to do something with it. So I had my little twelve thousand dollars, and I bought this other piece of property. Saw it in the newspaper. It was on an alley. I would never suggest anybody buy a piece of property when the street name is something alley, because it literally was an alley. Nice. Not the most (laughs) desirable neighborhood. So anyway. I know I'm going to need supply, so I go to the largest supplier in our city before the Home Depots and the Lowe's and all those companies, and I go into the owner of the company. Here I am. Now I'm probably 19 and a half or so, and I go in there, and I sit and I meet him, and I, his office is bigger than any house I'd ever been in, <laughs> um, and I tell him what I want to do, and I said, I just, you know, I, I can pay you when I'm done, and he was in his, like, 70s, and I don't think 70s old, but he may have not heard me correctly because... I actually meant when I'm, I'll pay you when I'm done. And so about three months were going by and I was building this property and all of a sudden this Cadillac shows up with these two older gentlemen in it. And one of them's this person that owns this company. And the other one is his accountant. I said, Mike, I have this problem. And I said, well, what's that? And he says, you owe us some money. And I, I said, well, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to pay you when I'm done. 
and he remembered the conversation and he had a couple dollars himself. He says, well, how much money do you need to finish? Because he could tell it was like two thirds done. And I gave him an amount of money and he says, well, come into my office on Monday and I'll give you that money to finish. He didn't know me except for my first conversation with him three months earlier. And from there, I went to his office, did it, um, finished that project, started another one, started another one, started another one. He financed all these things for me. One day, and I hate saying it, especially on a podcast, but I'm going to because I think it's a little bit significant. So here I am in his office one day, and I'm signing a loan for $240,000. And he he asked me, he says, Mike, how old are you? (laughs) And I I didn't know how old I should be for the question. (laughs) (laughs) So I said something other than my actual age because I wanted to be older so he wouldn't feel so silly loaning a a 20-year-old. A quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it went well. And then you know, I started evolving into understanding the real estate structure and how to buy property and how to sell housing and multiple units. And at some point, buying property that was already established and already created was cheaper than building property much faster. So before we get onto that, let, let me go back to this guy that you met. Um, I guess I want to know, like, how did he... Do you, do you think he was crazy to do that? Like, I mean, I don't, you don't hear oh, about that. Not. Like, why, no, why did he do I, that? Well, I think it's like, why does anybody do anything with someone? And I think it's all about that person's confidence. And the confidence, you know, comes from actual confidence, but it also comes from a lot of naivety, too. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't come across like I, I was an ignorant person. I wanted to accomplish a task. Um, I had pretty much the goal set in mind so I could, I could see the beginning, the middle, and the end so I could lay it out for him. And maybe he had a um, desire to help people and probably did. Yeah. And um, he helped me a lot. And That's cool. Well, it, seems, it seems like you know, if you come off like you, you're a know-it-all and somebody could read through it, they're going to say, oh, this guy's full of, full of nonsense, right? But if you come off as somebody who legitimately wants to do it and probably has the wherewithal um, and the hustle, so to speak, to to actually make it happen, then it's a whole nother story. Like for me, I'll work with a hustler any day of the week because I know they'll do anything they can, even if they don't know something, to get it done. And maybe that's what it was. Yeah. I, you know, I think maybe the time he saw me actually working. Yeah. And, you know, because I, you know, I had tool bags on and, you know, I was actually working, building this property. Yeah. Um, may have gave it some credibility yeah. and uh, over just the guy in the suit that's trying to, trying to do whatever they're doing. Um, so, but my, I don't, but it was uh, fun. So, so let me ask you, you literally from day one to, to today, it sounds like you pretty much figured it out on your own. Is, is that true? Yeah. Or did you I, have I, some I, folks I, help out? I've never gone to a, um, like a mentor or coaching class or, you know, the book, you know, the, my, the book I love the most, I don't have one because I didn't read about real estate, read my contractors, I guess, exam book. (laughs) But, um, other than that, I learned the hard way. Yeah. And the problem with learning the hard way, it takes a little bit longer to do and it's expensive, but learning it the hard way also didn't stop me. So like, like if I was going to mentor someone today, and they asked me a question, can I write a check to the, the uh, agent for the deposit knowing that I don't have the money in the bank? I would have said, you absolutely cannot do that. Yep. But because I didn't know I, that I couldn't and I did it, it could have been bad. But I think sometimes we just have to do it. 
You know, yeah. and I, doing it's more more important than the outcome. I, I've generally found in life, and this is not a you know hundred percent correlation, but the people that I know that are the most successful, whether it's on bigger pockets or in the real world, the people that are most successful at real estate investing are those who did learn the hard way. I mean, I I can probably count on one hand the number of people I know that have gone through an expensive training class or training course or whatever and became successful after. I mean, they, there are people, it does happen, but by far the number of people I know that that learn by screwing up and making those mistakes and, and buying properties and that they maybe shouldn't have bought. I don't know. I, I see that a lot and I, I don't know what that is, but I think there's just better education in, in experience than there is in education, if that makes sense. If we're ever going to take two types of people, one person that didn't know anything and ha- hadn't learned anything and the other person that knew some stuff but wanted to learn more, I think the second person's a better candidate yeah. because they, they learned on their own. They've gotten to a position where they understand the basics of real estate investing. To take that person and help him or her succeed more is easier. Yep. Taking that first person who's really just so afraid to jump. You know, fear's always motivated me. It's never stopped me. So, yeah. you know, some people look at, I'm afraid to fail. Well, I say the same thing, but it means exactly the opposite to me. Yeah. I'm afraid to fail. Like, and my failure is not succeeding. And their failure is not succeeding, but they don't look at it like that. Um, so I do everything I can do to make sure at the end of the day, I can say I was success. You know, this is what I did today. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love that. I mean, I, I, I run my business the same way. And, and in fact, you know, some of the most successful people that I know in different industries, you know, I talk with lots of people about what they do and their work and, you know, it tends to come out that those folks, you know, you get hired to some new job. You don't necessarily know what you're doing. There, there might be some training, but most of life I think is kind of figuring it out. And the key is, can you do that? Do you have the wherewithal, the guts to do that? And uh, the stamina to deal with the the fear of not fully understanding and maybe having to report to people who say, hey, you know, what's going on? Where are you at? And, you know, if you don't know, being, you know, comfortable enough to say, hey, you know, we're just trying to, we're sorting through a couple details, whatever it is. But yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's really important is, is, you know, if you can't get past that fear of some unknowns, you're never going to do anything, let alone real estate. Without a doubt. I mean, talking to the original person who gave me a bucket load of money on several transactions taught me what I needed to know to go to the next person. You know, everybody always asks, how do you get seller financing? Well, you just ask for it. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty basic. It's like you have equity in your property. What are you going to do with the equity? Well, you're going to put it in the bank. Can I show you how, based upon what you're going to do with your equity when I pay you off, it's a better position power for you to finance the property for me. You already know it's a legitimate asset or you wouldn't be financing it for yourself. And so you're, you're already comfortable loaning the money. You just, we're just going to trade who you're loaning it to. And it would have never taught me that. It would have never taught me that the core principle of negotiation and how to speak to people from a, what I call a power exchange perspective. I think if we can control who we are and what we represent and the conversations that we're trying to have, people will follow us because a lot of people want to follow people. Yeah. And whether that's good or bad – it's reality. And, you know, most sellers will never have the negotiation skills that most brand new investors have because the sellers haven't been on bigger pockets reading about investing and negotiation and, and all that. So the brand new investor still has a leg up on the brand new seller in negotiation on how to attract sub two financing, seller financing, all those things. 
So just knowing that you have that ability and that power already, you should you should use it and not be worried about, well, I can't ask someone for seller financing or sub two because of all the reasons why I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And what's the worst Nothing. that can happen, right? Yeah. What is, well, is that if rhetorically probably, but what is the worst that could happen? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's it. At the end of the day, I think we should answer the question, are we doing anything immoral, unethical, and illegal? Probably in that order. So if it's immoral, like if it's like really like, yeah, we ought not to be doing this, even though I can legally do it, or is it unethical? Am I not disclosing something to somebody, although I don't legally have to? Well, if we can answer those questions and all of them are positive, fall forward. Yeah. Go out there and buy a house. Yeah. That's awesome, Michael. I mean, uh, you know, I think a lot of people on Bigger Pockets look up to. Um, it it gives me great joy to hear that coming from you. I mean, not that I didn't expect it from you, but I think you know, I, I think we run across some people who don't necessarily believe that and and don't run their business that way. And yeah, uh, you know, for those people who know me and listen to me and what I you know espouse, um, I really do think that we have to work harder to build the image and brand of, of real estate investors in general, because there are so many shady people in the industry. And I think, you know, ultimately though, they're dwarfed by the good people. And right. if, if the good guys can just, you know, really uphold themselves and run a good, strong, you know, ethical business, I, I think we all rise up. Well, if, if we, if we even take it further than, okay, it's the right thing to do to be honest and ethical and moral and legal to the step of what do we get when we do it? Okay, so we get we get a happy seller, happy transaction. But I call it my peanut butter story, and it's a weird story. I know it's going to sound strange. Wait, you were the weird story? I, I don't know, man. Yeah, both of us. But I love peanut butter. And if, I, if you could see me on camera, you would see that I love peanut butter. But <laughs> so what do you my, have it like crumbled all over your face? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so great picture, right? So – I, I, I tell people, I said, here's my peanut butter story. He said, I wanna, I'm going to go in my grocery store. And in my grocery store are going to be people that I bought a house from because I've bought a lot of houses. And I, if I want to go get my peanut butter that I just love and that one of my sellers is at the end of the peanut butter aisle where my peanut butter is, my favorite brand, if I didn't treat people ethically, morally, and legally, I couldn't go get my peanut butter. <laughs> so, it, so seriously, though, if you think about it, I couldn't. I'd have to turn around and run out of the grocery store because I was afraid that I'd see someone or saw someone that maybe I I wasn't polite to and how I dealt with their transaction. Well, I want to do that. I want to go down and get my peanut butter, ask them for referrals, shake their hand, how they're doing in life, and more times than not, when you meet someone that you've bought a property from, morally, ethically, and legally, they will refer you to other people. So it's the gift that keeps on giving back to yourself. And you can't explain it enough. You can't use it enough. It's it's one of the biggest marketing tools that are out there. That's that's cool. And that's a neat way to look at it too, the peanut butter story. I mean, in, in my own life, I see that with uh, my tenants, right? Because my tenants all know who I am. Uh, and I, I mean, I live in a small town, right? I do see them every day. Like I see my tenants at least once a day. I see somebody that I've either, either rented to in the past or am currently renting to. And uh, yeah, I, I always want to make sure that there's no awkwardness. I mean, that can't always be because I mean, I have evicted a couple people and I'm sure they, but I, but I don't have to feel like I did anything wrong in those situations. Like they run out of the peanut butter aisle if they see me, not the other way around. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, now I have well, two images of Michael. I can't unsee <laughs> the peanut butter face and, and the, uh, the Navy doctor exam. So awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. And, and it was, no, anyway. So anyway, <laughs> I, I think those components are important, just really important when you start working with people and, and asking the people. You know, when we go out to a house, here's what's crazy. We're going to go out to a house. The sellers called us because we started negotiation with them with marketing piece. They call us up. We've asked them some questions. They've answered some questions correctly. And based upon those answers, we've decided we're going to go out and make an attempt to buy a property. We meet them. We say certain things on a certain, you know, in a certain way, use embedded commands, mimicking, pacing, neural linguistics, some positive negative reinforcements, some negotiation skill. We get all the way to signing an agreement, explaining the contract, walking away, making an appointment with title to open up escrow. And we're going to ask the seller for seller financing. We want you to loan us $200,000 at 3% interest. You've never met me before. I'm not filling out a credit app. You don't get to see my FICO score. I'm just a stranger you've never met. Now, how do you go from I've never met you to I believe in giving you $200,000? That's a big hurdle. And the reality in that is you do a lot of things on purpose. What do you mean? What you say. Well, when a, and you're going to think this is silly, so there's a, there's a <laughs> third one coming. Yeah. A third story? <laughs> third third oh little like, like third image. Oh, yeah. So um, I don't ring doorbells. I knock on doors, which maybe that seems odd, but who rings a doorbell? Uh, think about the last door, time. Door-to-door sales guy, somebody who wants to solicit you, something. Yeah. Someone who is insecure. So like the FBI, if they were going to raid your house, they wouldn't use the doorbell. They would knock on the door with something big, probably knock down the door. (laughs) Well, so I knock on the door. I let them know that there's a a hint, and then this is going to sound strange, a hint of power coming through the door in a minute, because I think it's important for someone to know that there's presence in the room, which is kind of really weird. I'm going to step back and look up the street. So I'm going to step back about six feet, look up the street so they can see me through the peephole. Whether I'm in my suit, I'm in my Levi's, or I'm in my shorts, it doesn't matter. But I need to have them feel comfortable with me. They've never seen me before. I need to open the door. I'm going to walk up to them, greet myself, and say, thank you for inviting me out to buy the house today. So the moment that I start my conversation, it started with the marketing piece and the phone call that they called in on. But the moment I meet them, I'm going to start embedding commands with them that I'm going to buy their house today. When you sell me your house today, when we agree on a price today, when you sign the contract, all those things during the conversation. Um, and I'm going to storytell through the conversation. So I'm going to start talking to them about anything that I think is a negative that's going to persuade them to say yes. So as an example, if a family's moving on a job transfer, and how does that relate to a negative to the price tag of the house, is I always ask people on a job transfer, who's going to stay behind? Or did you want the house sold today to someone that know, that's absolutely qualified, paid cash on, for the house, and close on the day of the choice of your choice? So I've embedded that I can do that. I've still asked the question, who's going to stay behind? And some people will actually say, well, we were both going to go. And I said, so you're both going to go? Really? And so I always follow up a question with – or their answer with their answer and then a, a positive or negative reinforcement because I want them to think – this sounds real, may sound real silly, but I want them to think – what they said was either good or bad. Yeah. Well, you're you're dict- you're basically 
you're you're playing puppet with them almost. You're you're kind of <laughs> you're you're getting them to say what you want them to say, which what they probably otherwise might not have said. And when it comes from somebody like if I say something, it's coming from my mouth, so it's going to ring differently than if you say it to me. So you're kind of getting them to say what what you want them to say, which they wouldn't say if they didn't really want to say it, uh, this sounds really crazy, but you're basically controlling them in, 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 in a little bit of a way uh, and, and getting them to open up, right? In a ethically, morally, and, and legal way, I yeah. want to give them aha moments. Yeah. Yep. I want to give them the aha, oh, I didn't know that if we both left that my insurance is going to lapse and be canceled because it's going to be a vacant unit. And then I'm going to tell the story of the house I bought from the outside of the house, the seller and I were at, met at the house. He was at the front door. He opened up the front door. From the outside of the house, it was a perfect house. From the moment he walked into the front door, the house was gone. I said that. Every, someone stole every part of the house, the cabinets, the flooring, the doors, the toilets, the sinks, the tubs. Everything was gone. What was also gone was his insurance policy. Mm. So he didn't really have a house to sell me. He had the outhouse, the outside of the house to sell me. So I can tell those stories because I've lived those stories with sellers, and it's it's grueling. But if I if I don't tell a new seller that that's a strong possibility, um, shame on me for for not telling them. I mean, they they could take my information and go sell it to somebody else if they want, or go list it on the MLS. Doesn't matter to me. I just have to tell them. I always say it's you have to magnify the situation so they hear you. If you just you know go over it really fast, nothing gets heard. It's just a really fast conversation. You're going to go from Thank you to inviting me out to look at your house, which is what a lot of investors say, to I, I'll, I think I can give you X amount of dollars. And they're going to say, no, I want more. If we don't justify in our conversations to a seller why we are offering what we're offering, then they can't go after I'm done. And here's the key component. You two are friends. Let's assume I bought, I'm out to buy one of your homes and you wanted 300000 for it. You sold it to me for two hundred thousand. After I showed you why it, how it's reasonable to reduce it by a hundred thousand dollars, you went to the other person. You guys were having a beer or a glass of wine or a, a diet coke, and one of you was saying to the other, "I just sold my house." And the other guy was saying, "Well, how much you sell it for?" And you said, "Well, I sold it for two hundred thousand. The next thing out of that person's mouth, he's going to say, "You're flipping stupid." <laughs> I would have given you more than two hundred thousand. So if we can't teach the seller to go back to the friend that they're going to talk to right after we leave and say, oh no, the 200000 was great because they did this. They bought it as is. Have you seen an inspection, homebuyer's inspection report? He said they wrote three-inch books about how bad my house is. He's going to cover all the costs, whether he's all the repairs, whether he's seen them or not, all the costs. He's going to buy it and close it on the day of my choice. He's going to give me cash. He's actually going to give me 4% on the money I don't need. I'm going to make more money down the line. If I can't teach him to be able to say those things during my presentation, it's going to fall apart. But if I can teach him to say those things and I go through this routine of doing it, then I'm going to get a contract signed. Because I can take a motivated seller who's motivated at 300 and I can get them to my price. Makes sense. Makes sense. That's no, well, yeah, I was going to say that's an awesome tip. Like that, that mindset shift of like, if you're, I mean, I like thinking of that way. If your goal is to let the seller, be able to convince their friend. If at the end of the day you can do that, then you've succeeded in in what you're what you need to do. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. Well, well, if you if you, that's outside even real estate, if you know if 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 
you're single and you met this person and, you know, and, and you wanted them to brag to their best friend about you, what would you do? Yeah. Pull down I my mean, pants. Well, <laughs> I, thought, it, well, I didn't say laugh. I said brag. Boy, oh boy. Well, We're going downhill. Just right. so everybody knows, he's actually pulling down his pants. So. <laughs> All right. So, Michael, you had mentioned, uh, you know, I had to lighten up the subject here, you know, from you like uh, enacting voodoo on the cellar to, to something that people don't want to see. So, so you had talked about something called neurolinguistics. What is that? Can you explain that? Is that kind of what we've been talking about here or what are we dealing with? Well, I'm going to start by saying I've never read a neurolinguistic book, but every time someone sees me do what I do, who understands neurolinguistics, like, hey, they tell me, that's what you're doing. I said, okay, that's what I'm doing. But it's controlling a conversation based upon my actions, what I'm saying, how I'm saying, like pacing. People ask me all, because I think pacing in a conversation is important. If I can't pace you and get you to follow me, so I'm pacing you and then I'm getting you to follow me, then uh, the conversation is not, you're not going to hear me. We don't hear things that we're not directed to hear. You know, you're having your conversation. I'm having my conversation. My job as the real estate investor is to get you to hear my conversation. So I have to pace with you. And pacing is imagine if we're both holding strings and I'm pulling you along. And if I pulled you too fast, you'd, I'd pull the string out of your hand. If I pulled you too slow, you'd fall on your face. Yep. So I have to keep you at a, a certain tug and I have to direct you to where I want you to go. Because if I don't, then it won't work. Because going back to what most most of the time it, what happens is I have a price, I have a business card, I'm ringing the doorbell, thanks for coming out, inviting me out so I can look at the house today, and I can give you 55000 for it. And the seller says, no, that's what happens most of the time. Yep. But if I can direct you down this path using embedded commands, some neurolinguistics, like if I have a secret, I'm going to tell you a secret. Hey, Josh, can I tell you a secret? I'm not really listening. I don't understand your pacing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yeah. What's, what's the secret? When you tell someone a secret, what's the one body function you do? You get really close to their ear. Right. And so talk both quietly. Pe both people lean forward, right? Yep. So when, when you tell a secret, and you don't have to tell them a secret in their ear, but if it's an important thing that you want to get across, you lean forward. They lean forward to you because they think something's coming. It's a secret. And you talk soft and slowly and directly and slow down your pace and your point will be heard That's because cool. secrets, secrets are powerful. So we're, we're talking about real estate secrets, not like the, how to, how to make out with a girl <laughs> at the bar here, right? Right. 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 <laughs> okay. Cause I'm like, Oh, what's going on? All right. What's yeah, an, no, well, yeah. So what's an example? I mean, like what would yeah. you be telling them about? That I'm the right person. So you're saying like, you know, listen here, Bob, <laughs> Come here. You know, one of the, one of the nice, and I'll say it. So, you know, one of the nice things about me buying your house is that you can close on the day of your choice mm. and have the money when you need it. That's what you want, isn't it? I don't think I'd want to be in a negotiation with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to cry. <laughs> well, but, but that's no, I mean, like, pacing. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, you're, you're or good at another it. Form, I'm terrible. Another at form it. of pacing is talking faster than someone's talking because you, we've all met sellers who go, they talk at a pace like blah, 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 blah. And you go, well, no, no, I, I, I don't talk that way. 
I need to slow you down. So how do I get you to pace my pace? So I'm going to now talk a little bit above you, a little bit faster than you. My tonality is going to be a little bit more than yours. So I'm speaking faster and a little bit louder. I'm going to let you catch up to me because you will. You will do it subconsciously. And then I'm going to pull you right back down. And now we're going to have a normal conversation so you can hear me. Because until you hear me, I can't negotiate with you. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, I think a lot, you know, I think the big issue that a lot of people have is, uh, especially newbies, and let's apply this to investing since that's what the show's about, is that they think they're there to do all the talking. And I think what we've experienced, you know, through the 76 shows, whenever we've talked to uh, experienced negotiators, the key is always you got to listen. If you can hear the other person, and hear what their issues are and, and kind of get them to expose, not necessarily vulnerability so you like a shark can go after them, but expose kind of what their needs are, then you're going to be in a much better position. And, and it sounds like you're getting there through some specific tactics and techniques. Now, is there, are there books on this stuff? I mean, I'm assuming there's books on neurolinguistics. And, and uh, do you have any recommendations on any of that? I, I don't. Um, I when one. I put together my... Um, my presentation. So I'm using embedded commands. I'm using positive and negative reinforcements. Um, I'm pacing. I'm doing some neurolinguistics. And I'm, I'm putting all of them together to create a conversation that I want them to, to hear. And I want them to hear the reasons behind what I say. And it's, it's kind of strange. So if one of you give me a sentence, say anything to me, but a short sentence, because I can't remember anything long. Uh, Mary once had a little lamb. Mary once had a little lamb. Terrific. Mary once had a little lamb. Wow. So one was one way and yep. one was another way. So it makes the, the person who just said it, I, I've repeated what they said. Because if we don't repeat what someone says, we can't tell them without doing so that we've listened to them. Because that's what a lot of people do is they overtalk the other person. Like what that other person had to say isn't important. So if I say to you, Mary had a little lamb, and I follow it by fantastic because my voice was raised, my tonality was different, and I wanted you to know that that was a great comment that you just made. Mary had a little lamb. Wow. When I slow down my tonality and I put that negative word on the back, now it's not as good. So when we do this, because – Always, it, like an attorney, I never want to ask a question or have a statement that I don't know the answer to or I can't get the answer that I want. Yep. So, But I also, also tell people, especially people I help, just because I'm teaching someone how to get a lower price doesn't mean you should get a lower price than what the price was before you got there. So when I go out to a house, there's really only three things I'm looking for. I'm looking for a signature on a contract. I want to affirm or confirm what I think I know. And I want to determine what I don't know. Those are the only three things. So when I start determining what I don't know, if what I don't know lowers the amount on my contract that I was ready to, to contract at to a number, and I get them to that number, great. Just because I can get them lower than that number, shame on me. You should not use these techniques to just dump on people and take all their, everything they have just because you can. Yeah. That, that, would, that would be wrong. Yeah. But we have to get to the number that's our business number and and whatever that is. 
Well, I, I think that kind of makes an interesting transition because first of all, we haven't even talked yet about what exactly it is you do today, like in your investing. So we'll get that in a minute. But I mean, what is that number to you, I guess? Like, what do you do if a seller comes to you and they've got a property worth $200,000 and they'll sell it to you for 50 because they're extremely motivated? Is it okay to buy it from them for 50 and you're going to make, you know, let's say a hundred grand or whatever off of a, off a flip, let's say. I mean, is that, is that um, okay? I think, I think it is and it isn't depending on the situation of the person selling. So like I bought a house from a nurse who was dying. So she was literally dying kind of thing. Yeah. And she wasn't dying like tomorrow. She was going to live for a while. She knew she was going to live for a while. She was selling me this house. She said, if you'll buy it for $65,000, you can have it. 65 was less than the 74 that I was willing to give her for it. Mm-hmm. So I said, now I'm going to give you $74,000. Yeah. Okay. On the flip side of that, you know, I bought a house from a lady for $15,000 and her neighbor was on the market for $179,000. I thought she was crazy. I confirmed <laughs> she wasn't crazy. Because then I, if I had to make sure that I could buy the house. So I had her – went out to the house. We did our walkthrough. We did all this stuff, neurolinguistics and pacing and mimicking and all that. She said this is what she could do. And I said, well, so you're saying if I can buy it for 15 I could buy it. I'm not saying I can, but I could. And she said yes. And um, I said, well, are you willing to do some seller financing to cause the house to be sold today? And um, she said yes. And – and I, and I, too, everything was too easy. It was like too easy. And she was like 80 years old. I said, so here's what I want to do. She says, okay, do you have family, friends, preacher, pastor, anybody that I can meet with, with you? And she said, sure. I can have my son here at four o'clock. So fine. I'll be back at four o'clock. I got back at four o'clock, knocked on the door, stepped back, son opened the door. I said, well, thank you um, for being here so I can buy your mom's house today. And he says, well, Right out of his mouth, he says, I can't believe you're giving my mom $15,000 for this house. And I wasn't sure when he, how he said it because he <laughs> didn't use any inflections if he was frustrated with me or happy with me. <laughs> and he said, we have been trying to get her to sell this house so she could move in with us so she could have a happier life for the rest of her life. And the fact that you're going to actually buy the house solves all of our problems. Thank you. Nice. Yep. That's great. That's great. So who are we to judge why someone does what they do? You know, in, a, in cases where it's immoral to take more money from someone and their situation demands that you don't take it from them, I, I think that's wrong. Yeah. Um, but That's cool. You know, but I've had, I've had superior court judges sit in my conference room. Um, he and his wife came over and his wife was wearing this ring that was more expensive than the house I was buying and and he says, Mike, I know you're going to make $60,000 buying my house. And I was only buying it like for $60,000. And um, I said, Your Honor, I am. And we made $72,000 flipping the house. Wow. He gave me that money. He knew he was going to give me the money. He was m- much smarter than I was. But he had a need and he had a motivation to do it. The only thing he asked is don't ever tell anybody who sold you the house. And he had a story. Find the reason that they're selling. Whatever it is. Sometimes it's rats. But most of the times, it's this underlying motivation. They're moving. They're being abused. They're running from someone. They're going to prison. They're going to another state. Whatever it is, if we find it, 
then we understand the negotiation power and how to negotiate. And if we do find it, then we can you know, storytell. We can tell them about other situations that didn't go well for those people. And the perfect example, and I know we have a lot of realtors on the board, and I love them to death. Being a broker myself, I understand the whole mind frame and the whole concept of, of the MLS and selling through agents. But you know, I can tell the story of having a house listed as a listing agent once in my life. And the seller being in the shower as another realtor used the lockbox to get the key out of it, open up the house, walk all the way back into the bathroom to see this naked seller in the shower. And Mr. and Mrs. (laughs) Seller, that's not going to happen to you because today when you agree to sell me your house and I agree to buy it and we agree to close in two weeks and I'm going to give you cash, that's not going to happen. You're not going to have your neighbors coming through your house looking how – how messy you are, how clean you are, what kind of person you are, and passing judgments on you because I'm going to buy your house today. That won't happen. <laughs> nice. But, I, th- but, I, th- I think so, Brandon wants you to buy his house. <laughs> I'm ready right now. Michael, take it. <laughs> You've convinced me. Well, but you know, it's all driven by, of course, having the opportunity to, to be up in front of that front door. Yeah. And um, because we don't magically get there, you know, I guess we could cold call forever and get some appointments, which. <laughs> Um, works if you don't have any dollars or talk to our center of influence and get there. But we've done something to get to that front door. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. 
Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. Well, so can we transition to that? You know, I do want to talk a little bit more about your uh, the the rest of your your background and kind of what you do today. I mean, obviously, you've been around doing lots and lots of different kinds of deals, um, but I I kind of like to work in reverse. So you know, we we just spent a fair amount of time talking about the negotiation once we arrive. How do we get to that point? So you know, one step back in my mind is. You know, we've done some kind of marketing or we found a property on the MLS, whatever we've done. But, you know, before we even go into that, I'm kind of, I am going to work backwards. We've got this person that we are going to vet somehow, right? So we've got a person, we've done the marketing, we've got a lead, we now need to vet them. Uh, right. You've talked about all the, the linguistics and the, all the fancy stuff that we would do when we show up. What about the stuff that we do when we're on the phone with them? When we, when we get a lead, what, what are we doing there? For me, over my career, it's evolved from like this super puzzle, like with you know, like two thousand puzzle pieces that we had to put together to find the right motivated prospect. And now it's that puzzle is only five questions. For me, anyway, and a little bit about I kind of have to answer the question: What do I do now? And I, today's marketplace, I require a seller to make me an offer. I am no longer making an offer, and so, well. It's easier. Can you explain that? Right. Well, if I go out to before I go out to a home, they've already made me the offer. So when I go out to the home and I go through my presentation, and I'm subtracting in their head based upon my conversation with them. I mean, they started out at this dollar. Every time I bring up a negative and I get them to shake their head forward, up and down. When you talk to someone and you say something that you want them to agree with, shake your head up and down. Yep. Because you will get the other person to agree. 
they'll shake their head up and down. Or if something's negative, shake your head side to side. And, and it just works. So at some point, we're doing this, and then they're going to give me the offer. And so one of you guys want to give me an offer? Make me an offer? You could buy my house today, Michael, for uh, you know, 130000 I could buy your house today for 130000 Can you do any better than that? Um, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit? Maybe a little. How much can you help me out? I could probably do 120. You could probably do 120. <laughs> you can't see yourself doing better. Maybe 115, but that's my bottom. You're mush, Brandon. Come on, stand <laughs> up to him. <laughs> so one 115, that's your bottom. 115 you is my an, bottom. You have an expensive bottom, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> so a- after everything that we've done today, what you're saying is, is I have to take your money and go buy somebody else's house. Can you see yourself? Can you see yourself doing better than that number? I don't know. Maybe a little bit. Well, help yourself out. I want to buy your house and I know, I know you have a need to sell it and I know you don't want it vacant. I know you don't want this issue happening. I know you want that cash and I know you want to get this stress out of your life. But Brandon, isn't your neighbor's house? Didn't it just sell for like 125? Why are you going to take 115 from this guy? Yeah, Michael, my my neighbor's house just sold for 125. Why didn't you use your neighbor's realtor? <laughs> um, he, I I don't know. I don't I don't want the realtor to get all my money. I I agree. I, I don't think you should either. So how much less than the 115 are you willing to help me out on? I, I guess I could go 110. You could go 110. Not saying I, not saying I can, but if, if I hear you correctly, if I could give you $110,000, you'd sell me your house today. I, I would. Now, are we talking an all-cash transaction or are we doing a seller finance transaction? What were you going to do with some of that money? Uh, I was going to uh, buy a new house. You were going to buy a new house? When were you going to do that? Uh, when my credit's, you know, not... 200 and uh you know i get my child support back on track (laughs) (laughs) so we probably have 12 months probably right okay so it would be worth it to you for me to pay you a little bit more than the 110 uh yeah perfect let's set that up make make yourself a little bit more money um, doing that and um would you like those in payments or just pay it off in, in a year from now uh, I don't know. Okay, let's just do it and pay it off in a year. It seems easier. Um, if you need your money in the meantime, all you have to do is call me, and um, we'll take care of that for you, all right? Sounds good. All we need to simply do now is sign the agreement. I'll go over it with you, and then meet tomorrow with escrow and open up escrow. That, that sounds good. Perfect. So it's a negotiation skill. I never gave him a price. Yep. Right. You made him say what what the number was. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I, and so anytime you, anytime you go, is that the least you'll do? Can you see yourself doing any better? Can you help me out a little bit more? I mean, after everything we've gone through, I'm gonna have to give your money to somebody else. Help me out a little bit. Help yourself out because remember I said help yourself out. Yep. 
because it's it's all about taking away. I'm going to take your this whole dream of yours. I'm giving, and then I in the middle of it, I told you why you needed to because all those things you told me, I reminded you you had to whatever the reason was. Yep. I brought that back, and I'm just negotiating with you, but you're really negotiating with yourself because I haven't yet to say a number. <laughs> It's like a Svengali. Well, here's what: I, how does how does somebody get like that? I mean, how do I improve my negotiation skills? How do our listeners improve our negotiation skills? I mean, if it's not found in a book, which I do want to recommend, there is a book called Pitch Anything. Both Josh oh. and I read it. Oh, fantastic! Um, fantastic book, all about this exact kind of topic. Um, really, really good. Yeah, Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. I think. Oh. Yeah, yeah like or in Claff. Anyway, pitch anything with kind of a lot about this um, reminds me a lot of, oh, yeah, Michael, I think you'd like it because it's just like this stuff. But I mean, it, you're not likely going to get good at this in a book. I mean, I read the book and I'm not any better at it. <laughs> Maybe a little nah. bit. Nah. So how do I get, <laughs> yeah, how do I improve my skills here? Well, the same way I guess I did. You go and buy a house with a bad check and you realize <laughs> that's not the right way to do it. But, and you get to a point, you know, one of the things for me I learned, um, and it was like this magical thing I learned is that when someone that I'm negotiating with gives me something like, so I'm talking to you and someone else in the room or yourself says, would you, Mike, would you like a beer? Would you like a, a bottle of water? Would you like a soda? And I'd always say if it was a beer, no soda kind of water. Yes. But then I started thinking about all the times that they gave me something. Then every time they did, I got a contract signed. So I learned that the moment someone gave me something, I was done selling. My conversation, my negotiation was done. They were ready to go. And I could just completely go to contract and we were satisfied. And it's learning those little itty bitty things is, is how you learn this stuff. It's just trial and error. Some days you go, well, I can't say that because this guy's grumpy and blah, blah, blah. Well, if you get to the point where you're with a grumpy person, if you haven't mimicked him and paced him enough to have him – not as grumpy, then we haven't done our job and we can't go in the negotiation skill or set skill set. If someone's just an arrogant, you know what, and they're just not going to communicate because they're Mr. Grumpy, I can't go and say, so that's the least you'll do? Because he'll say, get the effing out of my room kind of thing or house. <laughs> yep. Right? But the moment I can pace you back to a conversation that I want to direct and you have listened to me, and my voice in a manner that makes you go, okay, that was an important word. That wasn't an important word. And makes you start agreeing with me. And I shake my head up and down. So you shake yours up and down. Um, it works. But it, <laughs> as, as I watch, as you even say that, you've got Brandon shaking I know, Well, head, I did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see if I could get you to shake your head, Josh. No, nah, nah, I, I, I can't be hypnotized. Yeah, by yeah, that. whatever. So, <laughs> all right, but, so... Go ahead. So where they learn it, I think they learn it through practice. And I always tell people, you know, the best people to practice on are people that don't believe you can be successful. So, you know, you tell mom or you tell dad, I want to be a real estate investor. You tell your best friend or your boss or whoever, and everybody's going to tell you, you can't do that. You're not smart enough to do that. You've tried to do things before. You've always failed, blah, 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 blah. Use that person as your guinea pig. Yep. Because the moment that we can turn our naysayers into positive people, turn them around, I can talk to a seller after that all day long. Yeah. If I go out and do try to do this with my wife, who's never going to be critical with me unless she's mad at me, then I can't learn what I can learn with a naysayer. So I actually need – and I always tell people this. Go and role play with your friends, but don't tell them you're role playing. 
your your obstacle tonight is not to buy any beer. So you're going to go to your friend using embedded commands, pacing, and neurolinguistics, and they're going to buy you all the beer you drink tonight. <laughs> and after you're done, you just tell them, thank you for helping me learn my role-playing techniques. That's funny. <laughs> and nice. they'll call you a couple words, but that's how you do it. So, yeah. all right. So we, we talked about – Because it's – I was it's as simple as you, you Brandon, you don't want to, you can't buy me another beer. <laughs> you, 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 you can't uh, see your, I mean, after everything we've been through in life, you can't buy me a beer. I guess I could buy you one. Brandon, you bought him one. beers last time and the time before that and the time before <laughs> that. Why, why do you keep buying him beers? I, I'm, because uh, I keep asking. <laughs> there, there you go. go. All right, so so where um, where does this take place? I mean, we talked about the phone and we talked about in person. Um, and earlier, I want to go back. Earlier, you said you. Well, let's get back to the phone. Okay, yeah, yeah. Can so we get back do, to the phone? Yeah, please. Because so, what, I so think what the, we do on that. There's call? five. There's five important questions you yeah. have to ask a seller. That's right. That's what I wanted to hear. So, so no matter how good your marketing is, you're always going to get calls from people that don't want to sell a house. They pretend they do, but they don't. Yep. So here's the call, and any either of you want to role play, that would be great, um, or not. So the first call, I'm if, down. If I if the <laughs> if if the phone said ring 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 and I said hello this was Michael, and someone has to say something, uh, like I have a house to sell. Yeah, I called I, about an ad. I called about a bandit sign. I saw your wrap on your vehicle. I'm calling you about selling your house, right? Yeah. The first question I have to ask you is, do you have a house to sell? Yep. You I, do. I do. I do. Terrific. Is it currently listed with a real estate professional? Uh, no, it is not. No, it is not. Outstanding. In today's marketplace, what do you think the home would sell for? I don't know that the house down the street sold for one twenty-five. You you don't know, and the house down the street sold for one twenty-five. Well, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you do me a favor? Can you spend some time this weekend or this next week and, and maybe um, do some research on how much your, your property is worth? Now, you can do that. You can call a real estate agent you, or drive by, and you'll probably see signs with flyer boxes. Um, and then when you know or have a good idea what your home's worth, can you call me back so I'll buy it? Sure. I mean – Perfect. I mean, I, I think it's probably – I, I, I mean, it's probably – it's not as nice as the one down the street, so it's probably worth like 100 or or so. Oh, so it's worth 100 Perfect. And um, Brandon, uh, knowing that I buy for cash and can close on the day of your choice, what's the least amount of money that you'll sell it for? <laughs> I, I mean, I really like to get a hundred. I, w- I would like to get a hundred. You'd like to get a hundred, but would you, can you see yourself doing less than that? <laughs> We're back to this again. <laughs> well, but isn't, aren't these are the important things? Yes. Yes. Because because if, if we don't have a person that wants to sell a house, if we have a house that's listed with a real estate agent, there's nothing to buy. But third, if, we, if they don't know what their house is worth, I can't slap them in the face telling them what their house is worth. Yeah. So some, – because so, I, I don't know what they're thinking. Someone might think that their house is worth $500,000 in a $100,000 neighborhood. I'm not going to be the one that says that. They're going to go have to find someone else or something else that's going to give them that information because when they have it, from a third party, now the third party is the evil one, not me. And if they still want to sell, then they know that the sales price that they have has to be reasonable in li- reasonably in line with the hundred, not with the five hundred they were thinking. 
And my goal is always to go out to a house where the seller has said, I want what it's worth or less. So you could have said, no, I want 100000 I would have gotten the address, asked you a couple more questions. I would have set you an alternate choice appointment. So I would ask, is 4 o'clock or 2 o'clock tomorrow better for me to come out and buy your house? Yep. I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow you to – I wouldn't say things like, what time tomorrow or can I come by tomorrow? Because I'm giving you the power and I'm also not the person that you'll believe is going to actually buy your house. So you're going to call someone else. Because if we don't solve the urgency issue for sellers, they're getting another postcard from someone else. They'll just pick that postcard up and dial that number. But when they know that their house is sold to a professional that's willing to say, I'm buying your house and I'm going to close it on the day of your choice and treat them reasonably and um, responsibly, then they stop calling. Yep. Yep. And now we have an appointment to go buy a house. That's what we're there for. And so that's the phone call. And when you do it, you you have less appointments to go on. Which makes sense. I mean, one of the things I, I tend to do when I like get phone calls is I, I want to go look at every property. I mean, like, because I kind of get stuck on that. Like, well, what do I ask them next? I mean, they want to sell. Okay, well, where do I go from here? And so then I go and waste time looking at a property that was just a waste of time because there was, you know, nine out of 10 homes are probably not going to be even worth well, looking at. Well, so you've pre-screened them, right? You've got these questions, you go through it, you pre-screen them, and then you show up and now you're kind of rehashing the entire conversation. But at that point now, say Brandon originally came at you and said, I, you know, I wanted the 125, you kind of got him down to say 100 plus or minus, And you think you've got more room to bring him down when you show up at the door, right? So you're not going to show up at the door if you think he's stuck at 115, 120. But since you, you knew that you can get him down to say a hundred plus or minus, you know, maybe there's some room in there for you. There's some meat on the bone. So that's going to be the lead that you'll, you'll follow up with. You'll show up and then you'll kind of do the, do the Svenjali thing where you bring him down from a hundred to, you know, 83. Well, they're bringing themselves down. Well, yeah. Because they're the ones that's doing it. Yep. I mean, they're, they're absolutely agreeing with themselves that I'm lowering my price. Because I always tell sellers this. You know, I have never bought a house from a seller who's not agreed to sell me their house. That makes sense. Well, yeah. Right. Well, they have to, I mean, obviously. Yeah, sure. Right. So I've never bought one from a, house, from a seller who's disagreed with selling me their house. Right. Everyone that I've bought, and I've gotten cl- probably close to a thousand of people who believe in what I do, who have gone through the program of getting out of what they needed to get out of, whatever situation that they were in, uh, whether it's divorce or foreclosure or whatever. Um, I've solved a lot of family problems and I can solve them for you too. Yeah. So you, you said a thousand that you bought. Is that, is that how many property you think you've bought now in your career? Yeah, I know I'm well over 500 and I should count, but it'd be close to a thousand. Wow. That's crazy. Well, but I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I was right there with Jesus and, and you know. And, uh, Were you like really sad when all the dinosaurs died off? Was that, was yeah, that, I was. Yeah. That, that was rough. Yeah, the so, social security really, number is really, one. Really, yeah, yeah. All right, so, so – well, let's talk about that. But, but yeah. here's the deal. We're, we're at probably about an hour. And really quick, this is show 77 of the Bigger Pockets podcast with Michael Quarles. By the way, j- just for those people listening, if you're a, a newbie real estate investor and you have, uh, you know, you've never checked this thing out, we've put together something called the Ultimate Beginner's Guide in Real Estate to Real Ultimate Beginner's Guide uh, for in, I don't know, real two. estate investing. Two. Thank you. Real estate investing. You could find it at biggerpockets.com slash UBG. 
And uh, it's got all sorts of really, really good um, starter tips uh, and information for, for learning about investing. It's totally free. Uh, definitely check that out. Uh, we just want to remind folks because we always find people listening to the show saying, okay, cool, I'm, I'm motivated, I'm pumped, but I don't know what's the difference between flipping houses and uh, lease options. So that guide really is helpful. That's why I mention it. But um, Michael, on, on your... Uh, so we've covered negotiation. We really wanted to cover marketing, but we're way longer than we thought we'd be. So I think we're going to have to bring you back and talk about the marketing. So before, uh, we're going to plan to do that. But since we have you, let's let's talk a little bit more about you, your experiences, uh, you, you know, uh, these 500 to 1,000 deals. What kind of, you know, the early period was a lot of this new construction stuff. Sounds like you've done a bunch of flips. Maybe you could tell us kind of what the ratio or, or, or what kind of deals you've done overall. Well, being in Bakersfield, um, our median house price is, is pretty low right now. It's about 140 or so. So, um, not quite Detroit. <laughs> yeah, not, we're not as low. Yeah. Yeah. Or not quite Los Angeles right. on the other yeah. spectrum. Yep. So um, we can buy a lot of real estate pieces here for low value, which makes it easier than if someone's in San Diego or, or New York or something where they're you know, $750,000 cheap houses. Um, I don't have that problem. Um, so I buy a lot of low income. I always say that if you're going to market to somebody and go try to attract someone that fits – the mentality of the person who will sell at a discount, then you have to be at two-thirds of median value. So if my median's 140, then I have to be playing at that $100,000 range or lower. And so those houses are the ones I market to, and sellers call me. They go through my script. When I get out – no one ever tells you, by the way, that I'm going to prison. That's the motivation. Yep. Or I'm you know, I'm being abused for my, by my wife. That's the motivation. Or – you know, whatever you, you find it all out at the front door and, um, you've got to be real conscientious of not displaying like that look of like, Oh my gosh, you did what <laughs> yeah. Yeah. when you see it. I mean, I remember the, the time that I bought the house from the nice, nice, nice lady. I always require sellers to show me the house, actually walk the house with me, but she couldn't, she was physically unable to get off the couch kind of thing. And the rule there is if you can't, you can't. So I looked at this house. I was going through this house, and I got to the master bedroom, and there was a deadbolt on the interior door of the master bedroom. And I found the rat. I found the reason something was going on here. So I finished up, and I went back, and I sat on the couch with her, and I said, so tell me about the deadbolt on the door in the master bedroom. She goes, well, that's my son's room. I said, it's your son's room. Really? She goes, yeah, and in fact, he doesn't know I'm selling the house. Uh-huh. He doesn't know you're selling the house. Ouch. So how can I help you? And she said, I'm tired of him beating me up, and I need to sell my house. I do not want him to know whatever you do with him after I'm gone. I said, well, is he on the deed? And she said, no. I confirmed it. I bought the house. I took her pain away and dealt with the tenant after I owned it. Those are the kinds of people we deal with. We deal with, you know, the the guy who, and this was a, a strange one, the guy who died, and his family went to get all of the possessions out of the house, and he had his Bible room and his porn room, and mm-hmm. they couldn't deal with it. You know, you 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 buy the houses from all these people that can't sell it 
traditionally. So everybody always asks, well, why don't they just sell it? Why, why would anybody discount their property? Well, because they have to. Realtors wouldn't take their opportunity. Yeah. They don't want someone else in their house. I mean, I went and bought a house from, you know, when there's cameras on the outside of the, the eaves in the front of the house, <laughs> you kind of know something's going on inside the house. Yep. Well, and, so, and the, well, what do you, I mean, when you buy a house, what are you doing with these? I guess I don't even like, I, I don't, you're a flipper, right? I mean, you do house flips. Do you do, what are you doing with them when you, well, after you buy them? Or are you renting them? So I'm buying at the eight. Oh no, I'm not a landlord. Um, <laughs> Yeah, some disdain in wholesome. your voice there. Yeah, well, landlording. Well, I can imagine him as a landlord. By the way, I mean, <laughs> you would be Michael. You probably should be a landlord because you would just, you know, you would hypnotize your tenants. You will pay <laughs> on the first. No, you will pay. I can't. You're saying you can't, but what I'm hearing is yeah, you're going you to. <laughs> yeah. Well, there. It's a different reason why I can't be a landlord. But anyway. Um, <laughs> You got me off the question. What was the question? <laughs> um, yeah, what are you doing with these houses? Are you, are you flipping? Oh, or are you? I, well, the, I think that I'm fl- absolutely flipping, so I'm not wholesaling, um, and I'm not rehabbing. And in fact, on the, on the bigger pockets, like little like check marks of what you do, it's not there. I buy property as is at the as is value at a percentage off as is value, and I sell at 100% of value. So... My contract allows me when I get a, a house under contract to instantly start marketing it, even though I have equitable interest and I do anyway. They've actually gave me that written permission. And being a broker in California, I can pop that thing on the multiple listing service and get 100% on the dollar. And then every time that someone's living in the house, I put a for sale sign in the front yard. They could go read the flyer if they want, and they, can, they know that they sold me the house for 40 and I'm selling it for 80 They know that. Um, they just need their 40 yeah. Um, and we're doing, you know, offer subject to interior inspection. So they're not bombarded with real estate agents. There's not a lockbox on the house. So no one can get in kind of thing, but I'm marketing the property. So I'm buying it as is selling it as is. And when you start dealing with two thirds of median, you have two types of buyers. You have your investor buyer who wants to buy it, rehab it, gain equity by rehabbing it. And then you have your tenant buyer that wants to do the same thing. And it's a great market. So, you know, when you can play in that low income cost market, um, you can buy a lot more and sell a lot more. And you sell it fast. You don't have any issues with, with seasoning because everything is a cash transaction. And you'd be surprised how many people have $100,000 cash when they don't look like they have $100,000 cash. Hmm. So so you're I, – I, I guess I'm a little confused. You're, you're putting them under contract with the intent of actually buying them. So you're – Oh, you, I always buy. I you never do pass. Buy. Okay, so you're yeah. not you're not wholesaling at all. You're you're. Yeah. I mean, you're and in the end, you're buying it. Okay, what? Uh, what? I just know that I have an average of ninety three days that I have to expire to sell a house. Okay, so, so I might as well start expiring those ninety three days as soon as possible. So you're selling Some, it. Uh, go ahead. So sometimes those ninety three days, because it's an average is a week after I've, I'm closing my escrow or the next day after I'm closing my escrow. Wait, um, I'm, I'm confused. What do you mean? Well, I know I have 93 days that once I have a contract, it's going to take me 93 days on average to sell a house. Okay. Sometimes that's a week and sometimes that's six months, but I'm always buying. Yep. So, and I'm not fixing up. 
So who who are you buying? I mean, like you said, you're selling to probably investors. I mean, probably. I mean, well, he say was that's saying most that's where I was confused because yeah. you said, yeah, I thought you said you sell at a hundred percent of value. Investors probably aren't buying at a hundred percent of value. So well, not, it sounds all, like, not all investors are smart either. Well, that's yeah, true but, too. Yeah, yeah. But, and here's the 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 paradigm. Here's what a normal investor looks like and what they do. They they hear over here do something tax strategies buy a rental kind of thing. They go to a realtor magazine on their way in to get their beer or cigarettes or soda. Right. They pick up those realtor magazines. They flip through it for the best looking person Jesus. that they like. So that's why realtors use their picture from yep. 10 years ago. So they call that realtor and that realtor says, yes, we're, we are in a low inventory, but I can absolutely sell you a house. You'll probably have to make an a hundred percent to 110% offer on the property. And in fact, we have one over there on South street. That's, actually lower than what the other houses are going for, it needs a little work, and that's how they get sold. So my cost, because I'm buying it as-is value, not ARV value, and most houses are are sold at ARV value, not at as-is value, right? Yep. Yeah. If the as-is value is 100 and I'm buying it for 50 and an investor buys it at 100 rehabs is, and sells it for 175 I don't care. Yep. Now, is this what people call wholetailing? I mean, like I, I hear that term. I mean, yeah. Is that kind of what they're right. saying? Okay. So, right. um, I mean, it's a fascinating thing. Well, it, it's so much easier. Yeah. I mean, you're not in, at Home Depot every morning at 630 buying stuff that, you know, people need to put houses back together. Yeah. Now, uh, would you say this is all predicated upon, I mean, living in an area that's a hot market, right? I mean, like when I think of my market where the average time on market is 180 days or whatever right now, and it's still like houses sell at 80% of whatever they're, they're asking. I mean, like that doesn't seem like it's going to work out in my area. Is that correct? It, well, it, all I know is it worked in my area or it has worked in my area when we were in a bad market or in a good market. Okay. Um, because there's, there's motivated sellers in every market. Yep. So when you're in a bad market, you mitigate some of the costs of holding onto a property or some of the, the true resale value is you still are at a percentage of that. So you mitigate all that with a lower value or lower cost. So you will still buy at 50 cents on the dollar or 60 cents on the dollar, and you'll still sell at a hundred cents on the dollar. And maybe if you're on the market for your average market times 18 months, you have to mitigate that 18 months by a lower cost that you give the buyer. I mean, they give the seller. Yeah. Hey, Michael. So we got to kind of wrap up this segment before we do. Oh, I'm I, sorry. No, that's okay. We, I, I've got uh, a quick question. It seems like there's a deal to be had pretty much in any market, as long as you know how to find it. And, and I believe that's kind of your area of expertise. And that's one of the, you know, that's one of your many areas of expertise, obviously. And as I had uh, alluded to earlier, we definitely want to dig more into that. Uh, since we're out of time, mostly we're going to probably uh, save that for another show. But really quickly, you said you bought only one property off the MLS. Is that correct? My very first one. Okay, so everything else you've gotten from some form of marketing. Why don't we do this? We'll, we'll plan to you know, to bring Michael back at some point in the next couple months, uh, keep you guys waiting, thirsty. Um, <laughs> and well, I think marketing is probably more important than anything else you learn in business. Yeah. Because yeah. once you learn marketing, you can own any business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And, and we're definitely, we're definitely going to go there. I think yeah, this, uh, would be like a, this would be a four hour show if we try to hit it all right now. Yeah. But. So, um, 
so what we'll do is we're going to transition to the fire round, get to the back of the show. And, uh, you know, we'll look forward, you know, for those of you guys who are like ooing and ahhing and yelling, just make sure to yell at Brandon because, you know, <laughs> he didn't schedule enough time. I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's go. Let's let's do the fire round and then we'll 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 take it out. Absolutely. That doesn't even sound good. Can I duck? <laughs> no, it's not the firing squad. It's the fire round. It's time for the fire round. The fire round. These questions all come from the Bigger Pockets forum. So, Michael, you've probably seen a lot of these. Uh, we're just going to fire match you and uh, see what you have to say, what your opinion is. Number one. Now, I heard you say you had yours, but real estate license. Should an investor get one? Or not? We ask this question a lot, but I think it's important. Um, no. Really? Why is that? Yeah, I know I don't need a. Yeah, it's a fire. I know it's a fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I I think in the beginning of someone's career, that's just it's just like they shouldn't get a website, they shouldn't get a license. What they should do is get a bunch of business cards and pass them out. Like when they do, they get a thousand dollars. So stop doing all the itty bitty things, getting ready to be successful. Just go start being successful. And then when you are successful and you start having reasons to have these things like an LLC or a website or a license, at that point, get those things. But don't, don't set yourself up and spend all your marketing dollars on stuff that you don't need today. Yep. Yeah. It, would be, it would be like me buying reserves amounts of gas. Like I'm going to go out and buy you know, a million gallons of gas to use you know, five years from now. Well, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So – Let's just start. And so I don't think so. I mean, I mean, especially with the internet now, realtors are there. There are more realtors than realtors have opportunity. So if you find the aggressive ones, um, sometimes those are older realtors and established realtors. Sometimes those are green realtors. But you find an aggressive realtor that will sit down, and even if neither one of you know anything about anything, um, putting two heads together with when they're like-minded, you'll have success. And Help have them help you. But when once you get to a point, then yes, get your real estate license. It's not the license as an agent that you want. It's the license as a broker, because until you're a broker, and you can get a broker in most states with just a four-year college degree. Uh, if you don't have that, then you have to have a couple years experience as a real estate agent. But that's when you can start controlling the contracts that you have, because as a broker, you still are obligated to what that broker says, because everything that you do for that broker is really the broker's. Yep. Nice. All right. Well, next question. Would you ever purchase a condo or townhome, you know, something under an HOA, you know, in, in your dealings, your flips or your wholetailing, whatever we're going to label? Do you think it's a good idea? I, I wouldn't do condos, especially in some markets where the condos are um, highly uh, tenant uh, um, occupied because then some of the financing is real tough to get. And then the other thing, HOAs in a condo are so heavy um, and move so fast that they price themselves out, but I'm not a landlord anyway. And I like single family structures. Uh, I just love them. And even though our, in our area, we have a lot of association fees that are attached to single family structures. They're not as expensive as a condo association fee. Okay. So I wouldn't. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, next question. Do you have any tips on finding a fantastic title company? Yeah, I think that the easiest way to do that is to call up five of the most popular real estate agents and whether you know whether the, you know that that's a truth or not so if if you five find five people that you think are the most popular the best ones in your area call those people up and ask who they use call the sales manager up at those title companies 
and ask that title sales manager to um, refer you to a sales rep. Ask that sales rep to refer you to customer service and also inter- get an interview with you with a escrow officer. And as you start building that team, and say you have five different ones, when you start interviewing all those people and see how customer service works, see how escrow officers work, see how the, the title manager is working, when you do all that, you'll find that person, you'll find that company. But it all starts with someone else using them. And the reason I always say go five big guys or big gals um, from a production perspective is we want to, and sometimes because we don't have the experience, we want to use the credibility that someone else has to be able to walk through the door. So if I call an escrow um, manager or title manager and I say, Bill Jones, this powerhouse, top-notch real estate agent referred me to you to talk to you about my career in real estate, that that, that manager is now going to give you some credibility and some time of day because he doesn't know what your relationship is with this other agent that he wants the business from. And once you have that, then you can start interviewing and finding the person. Nice. Cool. That's great. That's great. All right. What about finding an investor-friendly real estate agent? You know, as, as I'm sure you well know, most, uh, I'd say most agents by far uh, know nothing about investing. So how, how do you find the good ones? Well, I wouldn't because I'm going to back it up there. <laughs> I would find an agent to, if, since I, if I weren't one, an, a, an agent or broker to list my property, but I don't need them to buy property because I don't buy that way. And here's the reason I don't buy off of the MLS. And I could because it's, I, I pay the friggin' $1,800 a year dues. But here's a listing agent. They go out to take a listing to a seller and they say to the seller, You're, it's worth 100 cents on the dollar. Of that 100 cents, I want you to give me six cents. The seller says, great. Let's do it. I come along as a real estate investor and say, yeah, but I can't give him 100 cents. I can only give him 70 cents. But can you make me that offer? Well, I can't make him that offer because I just convinced him to hire me by telling him it's worth 100 cents. Yep. Well, but, but I want you to make that offer. Well, how can I make? Because I can't lose my credibility. Now, if I'm another agent that's just making an offer and presenting it to that agent, that agent We'll, talk, we'll ask this question of a seller. Do you want me to show you offers which are less than listed price? If he asks or she asks that question, that agent doesn't have to show anybody those lower offers. And so for that reason alone, I can't see the MLS being viable. The other thing I don't see the MLS being viable is from a purchase perspective, unless you're a passive income earner, and then I totally get it, is the 6% of $100,000, that $6,000 in commission, I equate it to advertising. And I can do more with the $6,000 in advertising and finding more opportunity than I can buying that one opportunity. And so it's really what's the highest and best use of my dollar. Because ultimately, even though sellers authorize the payment of commission, it's coming out of the buyer's funds. Yep. So truly the buyers are paying for that, other realtor. So... Because the price of the property is then higher to compensate for that and all that. So, right. Cool. Because that's the conversation I'd have with the sellers that because you don't have an agent, it's lower kind of thing. And I, and I can justify that because I always tell them, you know, one of the things appraisers do is they, they appraise value based upon a real estate agent being involved. It's, it's much like they would increase 
your value if you had a swimming pool? Well, they're increasing the value because you had an agent. Yep. Because you don't have an agent we not, or you don't have a swimming pool, we have to decrease the value. And when, and when you, then it makes sense when you start telling people things like that. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, a good point to bring up to people. So cool. Yeah, I think interesting. That's great. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we head to the last segment of the show, which we call the famous four. All right, these questions we ask every single guest, and so we're gonna uh, throw them at you here. Uh, the first one we kind of covered earlier a little bit, so I think I know your answer. But do you have a favorite real estate book? Um, the Bible. Okay. Not quite real. It's kind of taught me everything I need to know. Yeah. Other than that, and one of the reasons I didn't read anybody's book is because I didn't know anybody wrote a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> no one told me. I didn't have any friends out there that were real estate investors. And then the more I got into writing my own books, the, I surely didn't want to read any then because I didn't want to take someone else's idea and write about it. Yep. That would be kind of wrong. So no, I would, I would say the Bible. Okay. Would you right say the same as business book? That's my question. No, Michael. Okay. <laughs> okay. Come Go on. ahead, Josh. Ask it. Ask it. No, you stole my thunder. Yeah, sorry. Well, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear what he said. All right, good. I'm glad we got an old guy as, as our guest <laughs> so I can ask the question again. No, I'm just kidding, Michael. What, what about business book? Do you, have, do you have a favorite business book? I do. Michael Gerber's um, E-Myth. Cool. And whether it's the first one or the professional or which contractor or whatever. Um, <laughs> that's not my dog in the background. That's, that's not my dog. It's <laughs> my fierce chihuahua. No. Um, I never saw you as a chihuahua kind of guy, Michael. Well, her name is Precious, by the way. Just so everybody... <laughs> <laughs> so, and she licks the peanut butter off his face. Yep. Uh, that's not where I put the peanut butter. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. <laughs> <laughs> next question. What do you do for fun? Wait, let's skip that one. We just covered that. Next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what are your hobbies, Michael? What, what are, you are your hobbies? Um. Um, when I was younger, um, <laughs> I, in, I enjoy boxing and MMA. So I was one of those stupid people who would <laughs> go get beat up. And nice. I always found that fun. And it was, it was like my personal chess match, match, but with like harm, like it, 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 oh, they took my <laughs> pawn. Well, no, they knocked me out. <laughs> kind of like, you know, when, whenever, so I, whenever people on the podcast say that they do like fighting of some kind, I always challenge them to a fight at the next Bigger Pocket Summit. I'm not challenging <laughs> you. I'm not taking Michael on. So, <laughs> no. well, I would just ask you: Are you sure you want yeah. to? <laughs> is that is that the best you can do? Is that the best offer yeah, you've got? The best, <laughs> the best punch you've got? Yeah. So we're not fighting. All right. <laughs> final <laughs> final question from me: What do you believe sets apart? successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Um, drive. Okay. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, just because we want to do something doesn't inherently mean we want to do it. It just means that we've said we wanted to do it. So it's the people that go, okay, I want to do it. So how am I going to now start orchestrating it? Well, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to start visualizing it. I'm going to start with some affirmations about why this is important in my life. I'm going to tell people that are important. I'm going to ask people to hold me accountable. They're going to take steps that say, I'm going to be successful because I want to be successful over the person that says, I want to be a real estate investor. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be. Yep. And you know, one of the weirdest things when I was on stage and one of the things I used to ask people in, in the audience is anybody here who has a business card on them, 
that says I buy houses or we buy houses or something about buying houses, stand up. And only a third of the room would stand up. Well, that told me instantly two-thirds of the room were not real estate investors because they didn't believe in it enough to say they were by buying a $12 item so they could carry it around and have an opportunity to buy a house. The other thing is when I ask someone, what do you do? Well, someone can ask me, what do I do? I'm a, I'm a broker. I have a contractor's license. I've written books on the subject. I can do all – I have a print company, a little one. Um, but I tell them I'm a real estate investor. So until you start living it, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an attorney, I'm not a school teacher, I'm not, I'm not unemployed, I'm not a salesperson, I'm a real estate investor. Until they start saying that, they will not succeed. Yeah. You have to believe it to be successful in it. That's, a great that's, really, that's really great. Yeah, we haven't had anyone actually say that before, and, and it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. So that's, that's great. That's yeah. great. Well, Michael, it's been a lot of fun. I, I'm going to have nightmares um, <laughs> and weird visions. And they, yeah, but uh, and we really, uh, really do appreciate you taking the time. Where, where can people find, uh, find you, find out more information about you? you know, anybody that's listened to this and want to chat and want to learn anything that I've talked about, um, free of charge, get me on the phone, then call my office over at yellowletters.com with an S. Ask Norma to get a hold of me. I'm rarely there anymore. But, but if someone needs help understanding how to negotiate or if they have a seller that's on the fence but they don't know what to say or they have a sub-two deal that they don't know how to put together, I, I just get a kick out of helping people succeed. And yeah, call that's me up. Right on. I've had people even go – I have the seller with me. Can I hand the phone to him? And I've done deals for people over the <laughs> nice. phone. That's funny. So, there you go. Well, That's just, awesome. I'm going to throw out there also, Michael's always answering questions in the forums about this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, Michael's very, very helpful in answering this stuff. So, yeah, definitely get in touch if you yeah. want. Sometimes, cool. sometimes too direct. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we've never had that happen before. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, this is show 77 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 77. And you can ask Michael any questions you have there. As Brandon said, he's always, you know, pretty much always on the forum. So feel free to jump in and ask questions there. And of course, uh, hit him up uh, at his website or, or give a call. I, I, I'm not sure your uh, Norma was it uh, is going to love Norma. the is going to love the influx of calls that you're going to get from, <laughs> from this show. But there you go. Well, Michael, thanks a lot. And we really do appreciate having you on. And uh, we will certainly schedule another show to, to finish up the stuff that we want to get to uh, next time. It was fun. Thank you, guys. Thanks right. so much. Thank you. Okay. Talk to you soon. All right, guys. That was Michael Quarles. I, I hope you guys enjoyed the show as much as I did. Show 77 on the Bigger Pockets podcast. The show notes are at biggerpockets.com slash show 77. Uh, as as we'd mentioned a couple times, we're definitely going to do a follow up with Michael and and get into the marketing side of things. But hopefully, you enjoyed that. I, I know Brandon, you you enjoyed getting your backside beat. <laughs> I, I I did. I mean, I'm not. I'm admittedly not very good at negotiation, and so I, I learned a ton. And I think most people that listen probably at least picked up a couple of things they can use in their life. He worked, you dude. He did. He did. Yeah. Now I got to try these strategies on like people in my own life. Yeah, for yeah, sure, man. for sure. <laughs> All right, guys. I, I don't know about you, but I thoroughly enjoyed the backside whooping that Brandon endured on that show. What do you think? <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd say a whooping, but you know, I uh, I, well, I learned a thing. Dude. I mean, I learned a thing or two. Yeah. He literally straight dominated you. 
Yeah, he's a, he's a good negotiator. He is. He is indeed. Well, that was a lot of fun. And uh, so big, big, big thanks to Michael, Michael Quarles for uh, joining us again on the show. And and as I mentioned earlier, guys, uh, since Michael is, is well known for his uh, expertise in the field of marketing, we will certainly be having him back on the show down the line. So stay tuned for that. But uh, that's it. So show 77 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. If you have questions for Michael regarding any of the content of the show, definitely go to the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 77. If you like the show, if you like what we're doing, if you like the content that we're bringing to you, please jump on iTunes, share it, review it, uh, let people know what you think about it, and tell your friends. You know, this we, we work hard to put these podcasts out there, and, and if you're deriving value uh, we we really do hope that you will tell anyone and everyone you know about them so they too can uh, become experts in, in real estate. That's really all I got for you. Don't forget to follow us on Bigger Pockets. Jump in if you're not already active on the site and participate with us. If you're not following us on Facebook already, please jump on Facebook and follow us at facebook.com slash biggerpockets. Twitter, G+, LinkedIn, we're all over the place. Pinterest. We are on Pinterest. If you're not on Pinterest, jump on Pinterest and pin our things. Pin us everywhere. I don't know what it does, but it sounds cool. Pin us on Pinterest. Wow. Yes, exciting. All right. If anyone's still listening, I'm going to let Brandon take it out because I feel bad for him. Thanks. Yeah, I've been sitting here falling asleep while you're rambling. <laughs> All right. This is show 77 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. I am your co host, Brandon Turner, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.